listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, serving the latest news in sci-fi multimedia. And now your hosts, Scott and Miles. Your table is ready. Live long and prosper. This is the captain. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. I got a bad feeling about this. Walter, put the cow away, would you? What is this place? It's a freak show. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 176. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And we are here tonight with a very special interview, an interview from a returning guest, someone we've had on the show numerous times. And why do we have this man on the show? Because uh, this man is, uh, he's part of the uh, the committee for the Shore Leave Convention and uh, he just gets to tell us all the good stuff that's going on at Shore Leave this year. Absolutely. So Mr. Michael Schilling, mm-hmm. who is the director of pl- publicity, calls himself the Goodwill Ambassador for Shore Leave. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of the things that he does every time we interview him is he focuses on a different aspect of kind of what goes on behind the scenes of a con. And we mm-hmm. don't typically get that perspective. And so, like, this year he's going to talk about what does it how, how do they go about landing these big guests or any guests they bring into the con? Right. Now, I, I, that's something I would be curious about. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we get his perspective on Stid. Mm-hmm. So Star right. Trek and yeah, Stid. They really should have named, as I was talking to Miles earlier, that we really should have named Star Trek Into Darkness as Star Trek Under Darkness. I mean, you just call it Stud and be done with it. That would have uh, given it so much more publicity. Uh, I think so, mm-hmm. because, I mean, after all, Benedict Cumberbatch is a stud. Um, my wife liked that part of the movie when she was in <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, or Kirk without a shirt. But <laughs> She didn't complain about that either. No, no. And, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I can understand that from, mm-hmm. from her perspective. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have this interview. It's a bit long, so we've broken our episode into two parts. And um, But this is episode 176 of the Sci-Fi Diner. Anything else we want to say about it? Uh no, I, if if you you know if, if you want to get some of the behind the scenes stuff about the con, like Scott talked about, um, and if you're in the area, I, I just beginning of August, I encourage you to come to Shore Leave. It's going yeah. to be a great time. It's, you're going to get to hang out with some awesome sci-fi diner hosts. I would think so. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Uh, M, I think is planning to be there. She's mm-hmm. not here in the interview, but M is going to be there. We're mm-hmm. going to have some awesome stuff. So. So, it's going to be good times. So hope you can make it truly this year. Yep, and enjoy the interview that we have with Mr. Michael Schilling. Nowhere, and she has 
ladies and gentlemen, uh, t- today we are delighted to be talking to a, a guest we've had on before. We consider him a friend. We get to see him at least once a year. And uh, we are talking to Mr. Uh, Michael Schilling, head of the publicity department and, and media, and all well, a goodwill ambassador for the con. Mike, th- welcome and thank you for coming back to the uh, Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. It's my pleasure to be here. So nice to talk to you again. You know, uh, Mike, I believe that you have the distinct pleasure of being maybe our most interviewed guest on the show. <laughs> well, I'll take that as a compliment, I suppose. It's, it's very, it very relaxing and very comforting to know that I am welcome uh, yeah. on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast at least once a year to talk about our little convention. Yeah, Makes me yeah. feel good. Thank you so much for your kind words and the support. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because this is, uh, I think, the fourth year that we've had Mike on. He's mm-hmm. been with us almost since the beginning. So, Absolutely. Right. So, um I think episode 20 or 21 he was on, and we're now up almost to, uh, what, episode 175 almost? Yes, yeah. So there's a lot of episodes that he's been on. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, The time does fly. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Uh, you know, for people that uh, haven't maybe listened to some of the past episodes, can you tell us just a little bit about, you know, who Mike Schilling is? We'll get into the con a little bit. Maybe in general, anything you'd like to share or like the, uh, our, uh, our diners to know? Let's see who Mike Schilling is. Well, basically, because I could (laughs) just ask my wife. I could go on and on for hours talking about myself. She'll tell you. But basically, I'm just a fan. Uh, Have been a fan of Star Trek since I've been, you know, able to be a fan. Uh, My brother, my older brother, by 10 years, introduced me to the wonderful world of Star Trek in the mid-'70s. Um, you know, when I was seven, eight, nine years old, and of course, Star Trek for so many of us of this generation was was really, really getting popular thanks to the world of syndication, which was a fairly new thing then. And I caught the bug there. I'm not sure, as I oftentimes joke, I'll know whether to bless him or curse him for it. Right. <laughs> uh, all those years ago, he got me into this. Um, and I've been a fan ever since then. And being a fan, when you find out about gatherings of other like-minded individuals who love the show as well, um, you naturally, in most cases, are gravitated towards that. I first heard about Shore Leave. I'm not even sure how I found that. It might have been a flyer. It might have been a friend of a friend who called me one time, who told me about a convention called Shore Leave 8, which was taking place in downtown Baltimore, one of the very few times uh, in that particular location. And basically, um, from there, I went ahead and, um, oh, you okay? Yeah, just sneeze. Um, and, and basically, from there, I went ahead and uh, I've been a member of the uh, Shore Leave team ever since. First as just an attendee, then as a club member, and eventually as part of the committee. And, well, more than 25 years have gone by since. So that's a, that's a basic gist of it. Yeah. Do you remember the very first Star Trek episode you ever watched? <laughs> I don't know if I can remember any one specific episode title, but I can clearly remember in the mid-70s when Star Trek would air in the Baltimore market. Uh, some, a lot of times it would air around dinner time, as it was for so many of us. Uh, so kids could be off school and done with dinner and everything. And sometimes Star Trek would just show up literally in the middle of the night. I'd wake up in a, you know, in the middle of the night. You know, the air conditioning might not have been on. It was a humid night, and I couldn't get to sleep. And I'd be tossing and turning, and I'd turn on the TV. And in those days, for your younger viewers who may not really remember what it was like back then, but you just flip some channels. You didn't have hundreds of channels back then, and I'd flip channels trying to find something on, and there in the middle of the night, one, two, three in the morning, whatever it was, was an episode of Star Trek. I think it was Wolf in the Fold, maybe. I don't know why I remember that. I just, wow. uh, I just do for some reason, and I was, you know, naturally gravitated towards it. And there you go. I don't know why. You know, sometimes I can't remember what you have for breakfast in the morning, but you can remember things like that. Odd how the human brain works. Yeah, but, that's true. But yeah, I do clearly remember those those early days. Sometimes just catching it at odd times like that. Yeah. Mike, I'm reminded when you said you, how you found out about shore leave. I just remember back in the day. Uh, you know, we've been around long enough before the internet that to find out about a con, you would eat, you know, a flyer or the way I found out was that my local comic book store would, uh, you know, have a poster or something for an upcoming con. Um, you really kind of had to pay attention for 
those sort of things. You couldn't just go on go on the web and just uh, look it up for cons in your area. You really, you know, you had to be kind of devoted to find out, or or just lucky you had to find out there was going to be a con in your area. Oh yes, it was a different world then. Mm-hmm. You know, like I say, it's a little bit difficult, I think, for some of your your younger folks to really understand there was a time before the internet when you had to use handwritten letters or typewriters or as we used to call them word processors and you had you know you made phone calls and you found out from other people that these events were coming up you know you had to find out from someone else who was quote unquote in the loop that that event was coming up but like I said I don't remember specifically how I found out about my first short leave I didn't even go to my first convention until about 19 I think it was perhaps 85 or so surely but 8 might have been the third or fourth overall convention I'd ever attended to that point. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's what I remember, and it's just amazing how more than 25 years have intervened since that time. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it makes you realize. But it also you know, makes you cherish the, the memories and also cherish the people that you've met over the years and uh, the memories that you've built up because of your association with Star Trek and attending uh, gatherings such as ours, you know, over all those years. And they're very special ones. So, so being a devoted fan of sci-fi, but maybe especially the Trek universe, uh, would you consider yourself a Trekkie or a Trekker? Hmm. <laughs> that makes me think about uh, what was that um, young fella's name? Gabriel Kerner, I believe, who was in those two Trekkie movies. Remember that? And he said something like, I'm not adamant. Adamant? Is that how he said it? Yeah. Uh, about how he felt about it either way. He just preferred to be called a Star Trek fan. And I have a similar feeling. You can call me either one, really. I mean, I guess I prefer to be called just a, a Star Trek or a science fiction fan. I mean, when you're called a Trekkie, you get a little bit of the twinge, because that term tends to have more of a negative connotation to it. But I don't get really upset over it, you know, as, as I once did. I guess that's a matter of getting older and having a little perspective, you know, on things. Yeah. But uh, either one is, is fine, really. Well, I think maybe, too, with the resurgence of the 2009 movie and then, you know, Into Darkness, uh, you know, terms like Trekkie or Trekker have, don't necessarily carry the same negative connotations you may have had 10, 15 years ago, either. Oh, definitely. I would definitely agree with, with that statement. There was a time, you know, 70s and well into the 80s, even when Star Trek was in a tremendous boom time in the 80s and well through the 90s. Um, you had that negative connotation. You still have images of the William Shatner appearance in Saturday Night Live and his famous Get a Life speech and everything, uh, and all kinds of derogatory um, comments like that. And you, those things are still, they sting you a little bit, you know, in the back of your mind. But as time has, has gone on and Star Trek has become more of a, you know, involved in the lexicon, um, you know, of Americana, then there's a lot less of that. There's still that element of it. But, you know, as you get older, you learn to just simply deal with it and just shrug your shoulders and say, well, those mundane folks, they never, never will understand that anyway. <laughs> so why, why get upset over it? <laughs> right. you know, life's too short. That's right. Yeah. So you just don't allow yourself to become upset by it. But you're right. There was definitely much more to that back in the early days. Yeah. Well, we got to ask you, this is kind of an obligatory question. Um, so my understanding is that you, you did see the latest uh, Star Trek movie, uh, Into Darkness. What are your thoughts? Yes, I did. It was actually the uh, the day after it opened, as a matter of fact, the first Saturday after it opened. And I went with a few friends of mine to a local uh, multiplex, the, and that was that was you know a pretty amazing experience. I personally loved it. Um, I had an absolute blast. I had an absolute blast watching it. Okay, and um, I mean after I saw it. Um, I became aware a lot of my friends didn't like it. They had very derogatory things to say about it. Uh, And when I listened to their viewpoints, I respected them. And I actually agreed with some of them as I thought about it more. Uh, There are certain things about it that a lot of fans do not agree with. Um, It's kind of hard to compare films like that up against the, um, the original film series. The original series, to me, has major apples and oranges. But all I know is as I was watching it, and as I was sitting there with friends in the theater, I was swept up in the experience. Uh, the action was incredible. Uh, the cast cast was fantastic. 
Um, the, the pacing was amazing. It's uh, tied with the first Star Trek movie for the longest Star Trek movie that they've ever made, and you don't notice the time going by. The effects work is spectacular. Um, you know, so I thought it was a fantastic picture. I mean, you know, we could go on and on for hours probably debating, you know, how was the casting or was the writing good or could they have been a little more original or they should have gone this, that, and the other thing, this direction, that direction. And that's something that probably is going to get discussed to, you know, ad nauseum during the course of the weekend. When the 2009 Star Trek film came out, there were panel discussions every day, sometimes more than one a day, about the movie. And I'm sure that's probably going to be the number one topic of discussion throughout the weekend. And believe you me, I intend to take part in those discussions to see what's blowing in the, in the wind amongst fandom me too. about huh. it. But I come down on the positive side of the film, personally. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, um, did you see it in uh, 2D or did you see it in 3D? Oh, I just saw the 2D version. I mean, I... I, there was a certain part of me that said, oh, IMAX is wonderful. I remember IMAX just came out and all that, and how exciting it was. But, you know, and I just don't really see the need to see a lot of these movies, even big science fiction spectaculars in 3D. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Miles and I were no, talking. I just saw the, the plain 2D version. Yeah. And Miles and I were talking and uh, with some other people and, you know, and and while there were a few things that were added in the 3D, uh, people that saw it in 2D, you really didn't miss much. You know, I mean, really, it didn't add or take away from the uh, story that significantly that that saving a few extra bucks, you know, wasn't worth it. Mm -hmm. So that's a that's the way at least start. Would you agree with that, Miles? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so, was there anything that um, after you got through the the incredible ride that the Star Trek Into Darkness was? Was there anything in retrospect that you looked at and said, "Well, that did kind of bother me a little bit," but not enough to say that you didn't like the movie or maybe didn't even love the movie? But maybe there were some things in it you just didn't. In in retrospect, you said, "Well, it was kind of weak." Well, it's it's been that's kind of interesting. By the time this interview actually airs, do you think most of our of your uh, listeners uh, will have seen the movie? Because I hate spoilers. I've had a hard time talking the movie with a lot of folks, including members of my family, who haven't seen it yet. And it's very hard to talk about the film without giving some important away. Well, we'll just say this. We'll just say that if you have not seen the movie, you may want to skip ahead in the podcast about five minutes or so. Um, but we, uh, Miles and I, uh, what, two weeks ago released a, mm-hmm. a very in-depth analysis of Star Trek Into Darkness, and we spoiled the heck out of it. And we warned people ahead of time, look, if you haven't watched a movie, please don't listen to this. Right. Uh, because cause we talked very candidly about the movie. So I want you to feel free to talk candidly about it, and we're giving people enough of a warning here that they can jump ahead in the podcast if they, they don't want to be spoiled. Okay. All right, no problem. Didn't want to ruin anything for anybody. Well, actually, there were many friends of mine who kept asking me, who's the villain, who's the villain? And I said, I I literally don't want to know. I mean, I could have found out very early. If you know enough websites, you can always find spoilers somewhere, especially if you're on search engines, okay? And I I consciously avoided that, you see. Um, But after, because I really honestly didn't want to know, although I had my opinions and I had my feelings about it, uh, but I try to keep as much of an open mind as possible going into the movie. Um, like I mentioned previously, um, as the film was unspooling or going up on the screen digitally, as it is today, that's, that's going the way of the Dodo, too, actually. Right. Film up there, but that's a separate issue. But uh, as it was happening, I was definitely caught up in the emotion of it and everything, and uh, I didn't have anything bad to think or you know, or to say about it. It was after the film was over, and I'd really thought about it when I said, well, you know, I'm not so sure if they they handled the Spock character right. I mean, I remember that was the biggest risk that they took with the 2009 movie, that they were really playing around with Spock's character and the relationship with Uhura and being that much more emotional. And I justify it by saying, well, you know, this is a younger Spock, and this is an alternate timeline. Things happen differently. He's just watched his planet be destroyed. Of course, he's going to be affected emotionally, and he's got a lot be a lot more. You know, his emotions going to be a lot closer to the surface in this you know version of the Star Trek universe. 
you know, so I told myself that. But there are certain things that he does, particularly towards the end of the film, that you would never, ever see the Leonard Nimoy version of Spock 2 uh, do, in, in my opinion. So I think that that's going to create a lot of... Uh, friction amongst the fanboys and fangirls out there uh, because of the different way that this particular Spock acts, regardless of the, the uh, different things that have happened to him and the things that have that he has seen over the course of the last two films. Uh, as far as the writing, on the one hand, uh, like I say, it's a brilliant performance, to say the least, by Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, I thought he was absolutely magnificent in, uh, in his role. Um, but if you look back at it, um, if he hadn't have said his name was Khan in that middle scene and everything, and the audience goes either, <laughs> or I knew it, or something like that. Because after all, you can't help but listen to the reaction, right? And it said, I knew it, I knew it, right? But if they hadn't mentioned the name just for the sake of referencing it, the character was strong enough. You didn't really need that. He could have been really just any great, you know, magnetic villain. It didn't have to be him. You know, and besides, uh, you know, the, he's basically playing a what would you say, like someone like a how they describe in the original series, a, a Sikh, you mm -hmm. know, from that part of the world out towards India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, that part of the world. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is about a, as non-ethnic of, <laughs> of an actor as you can find. He's about as British as you can get. After all, he plays a magnificent Sherlock Holmes, right? Right. So. Um, so I think that, you know, perhaps that whole con reference and, and trying to mirror the 1982 classic film um, was an example, that some would say, of lazy writing. Some would say that the fact that they took a lot of the events and even whole sections of dialogue from the 1982 film, either repeated them verbatim or reversed them. Some right. would say that's clever. Others would say that's a cheat, depending on who you talk to. And either way, there seems to be no middle ground on this. People either seem to adore this movie or they hate it. And I find that very interesting. So that should make some for very interesting conversations come August at the convention. Because there seems to be no middle ground with this movie. Either people seem to, to love it or they hate it. And, and they feel the same way about J.J. Uh, Abrams. Right. You know, some people will say he's the the savior of the entire Star Trek franchise. He breathed life into it when it was foundering, and, you know, we owe everything to the guy, and we wish him the best of luck now that he's going to go off and do the Star Wars Episode Seven. Other people find him to be just the opposite, that he ruined everything, you know, that uh, this is too much like a Transformers movie. Oh, he's just, I've heard the comment made, he's warming up for the next Star Wars movie, because this is a lot more what it's like in tone, that Gene Roddenberry would never approve, that he wouldn't recognize it. Where's the character development? Where's the humanistic aspect of it? Mm. You know, where's the, where's the philosophy of Star Trek? You know, it's just not there. Yeah, I guess Abrams feels there just isn't time, or maybe since he's admitted he's not really a fan, maybe he just doesn't get it. Maybe he finds that boring. So there are those, especially of the classic vein, going way back towards the early days, who would be disturbed by that, saying, yeah, it's a very exciting and well-produced movie, but is it really Star Trek, or is it just another pre-sold blockbuster? And these are things that I guess fans, when you have the time, right, you think about. Right. So, yeah. um... Anyway, don't mean, sorry to go on about it, but as you can see, you've struck a nerve. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and I think that Miles, Miles, you and I would say that we really enjoyed this movie. I, I yes, uh, positive on both sides. Um, I, my nitpicks are probably similar to yours, Mike, as far as um, the con character, uh, brilliantly played by Cumberbatch, but but. He, he was. So, he, you're right. He, he didn't have to be Khan. He could have been any one of Khan's supermen. And um, right, keep calling him John Harrison. That would have right. been fine too. Oh yeah, he's he's Khan now. Mm. Okay, he sure doesn't look like Khan. And mm -hmm. again, the acting was truly magnificent. He's mm -hmm. fantastic. But like I say, was the writing a bit of a cheat? Perhaps. I mean, I'm mm. not a writer. I'm not the one with that kind of pressure to have mm. to deliver a script that everybody's going to love and everything. Yeah. Well. Um, that's next to impossible. And something my brother and I have discussed many times over the years, nobody can pick apart a Star Trek plot project like a Star Trek fan can. <laughs> that's true. That's you, true. Know, you will never, ever please everybody. Oh. It just is not possible. You know, and so always try to, to bear that in mind. You get but forced. Was it a fun movie? Was mm -hmm. an exciting movie? Oh, yes, it most definitely was. Mm -hmm. 
with or without Al Steven or underwear. <laughs> um, I can't believe that sometimes the folks out there just have nothing else to talk about. You know, Damon Lindelof and J.J. Abrams, oh, I'm sorry, that was gratuitous. Shouldn't have left that in. I say, that's all you've got to write about? <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was yeah. a, a very exciting picture, great acting. I'm sure it'll do well. I'm sure that it leaves the door open for additional films down the road. I know they all signed three picture deals, so you know there's got to be at least one more. Right. Um, like I say, the more I think about it, the more I can nitpick, but I know I sure enjoyed it while I was sitting in that theater, and I, I enjoyed the, the debate that, that goes on in fandom between it. But like I mentioned a few moments ago, either you, you seem to love this movie or you actively despise it and i've listened to people on both sides of the fence you know and perhaps this is one of the signs of a really good picture is that it does make you draw lines and makes you it warrants discussion which makes people go back and rewatch either scenes or or rewatch the movie again to maybe either solidify or maybe change your opinion of it. Um, and so I think a sign for me of a good movie is a movie that causes me to sit back and have these sorts of discussions um, about about them. Yeah, Mike, I can't wait for Shore Leave because um, we had, there were some great discussions of the 09 film. So I, I, I think there, you know, between fans, between the Star Trek uh, authors, I think we're going to have some really fun discussions picking this movie apart um yeah so i'm looking oh, forward yes. to that we're really we're really looking forward to it as well this yeah. could be the biggest show we've we've ever had you know both in terms of the the quality of guests and uh, the number of people that we're going to have i mean how we how we can avoid selling out is is beyond me so any of you out there who you know time to get my plug in here who don't already have their reservations in who don't have their pre-registrations in place you need to hurry because if you just show up saturday morning you know there may be a bit of a line and there might not be much in the way of tickets left for anything mm -hmm. you know this is a, a very modestly sized hotel you know for those out there who aren't familiar with the shore leave setup or the marriott's hunt valley inn or just the hunt valley inn as it is now it isn't really owned by marriott anymore from what i'm from what i'm given to understand um you know it is not a convention i mean it is not a convention center sized hotel yeah, we only have a capacity of roughly 1,500. That's about all we can really do and stay within the guidelines of the fire department. And believe me, they have no sense of humor about such things, with good reason. <laughs> no, they don't. So that's all we can have. So when it fills up, it fills up. It's just that simple. Hmm. But believe me, we, you know, it's, well, every shore leave is exciting, but especially this year with the kind of guests we've got, with the kind of programming that's being set up, uh, with all the buzz over the, the new film and everything, there's going to be a lot of activity. And it's, yeah. it's going to be a very, very special time. You know, we just got done talking about Star Trek Into Darkness, and I know that you and I have discussed this in the past, but just to recap for our listeners, shore leave kind of, was birthed out of the Star Trek franchise. Well, the uh, you mean the the name? Of the, the name, convention? yeah, the name of it. Well, yes. Well, you see, for any uh, original series fan or classic Star Trek, I like to call it. Okay, surely takes its name from a first season episode of original Star Trek called appropriately enough Surely. It was, uh, of course, that famous episode where they beam down to this planet. They're all very tired, including Captain Kirk, and you all need some shore leave. And it turns out this isn't just a beautiful planet. On this planet, anything you think of immediately becomes real, whether it's something really nice or something deadly. So you really had to control your thoughts, okay? And towards the end of this episode, Spock says something, and this is a paraphrase here, an amusement park a place where someone could see and do all sorts of fascinating things. And I think, although I wasn't there at the beginning, I think, as much as anything else, that formed the basis for what Shirley became, okay? As that, that special place where people can see and do all sorts of fascinating things. And so out of that came the name of the convention. And, and so that's, that's how it all started, basically, out of that name. And since the very beginning, our logo has been the famous shore leaf bunny. You know, the bunny that pops out and surprises Bones, says, you know, my stars and whiskers, I'll be late. Right. You know, that, that's our logo. <laughs> right. In fact, all, you know, 
uh, towards the front of the um, convention, the registration area, I'm not sure where they keep it, there is a very old painting of basically that image. Hmm. You know, with uh, the Shirley Bunny and Alice from that episode and the original Enterprise and all. I'm not sure who painted it, but we've had it for many, many years. And as part of our tradition, every guest star who appears at Shirley for the first time before they leave for the weekend gets a special goodie bag of gifts. And as one of those primary gifts, they get one of those Shirley Bunnies to take home. Nice. It's one of the big laughs throughout the weekend. You know, they open up this gift bag and there's this cute Shirley Bunny in it. Just want a little laugh that we throw in there. So it's it's all part of the tradition. Right, right. You know, every year after year since Shore Leave 8, you come back to the con. What makes you personally commit to not just attending Shore Leave, but being involved at the level of involvement you are at in Shore Leave year after year? Hmm. Well, that answer would change every single year. Okay. okay? Um, in the beginning, uh, when you're younger, you tend to be drawn by things like autographs and memorabilia. You know, you want to buy things that you can't ordinarily get other places, and you want to meet these actors, and you, you know, you want to get their autograph, and you want to maybe, you know, sit down and have a, a talk about the latest movie or argue over episodes, what have you. But as the years go on, and you develop a lot of time in, um, you come to realize that as good as that is, I think you come to appreciate the people as much or more so than anything else. I truly do cherish the uh, people that I've met over the years in, in their love for Star Trek and for science fiction in general. Um, you know, not just the people who put on the convention, but also all the, the attendees. You may not know all of them by name. You're talking about hundreds and thousands of people. But you see a guy and you go, yeah, I know that guy. He's been coming here for 20 years, you know. He always dresses like so-and-so. He's a really cool guy. Hey, how you doing, you know. And it's it's fun that way. You, you come to appreciate the people that are there, the friendships that you've made. Um, and it becomes a part of, of what you are. It becomes a part of, like, a tradition. Like, there are certain things. Things. I cannot speak to other conventions around different parts of the country, but there are bits of programming, you know, that we do that people come to expect every year. And, you know, so as time went on, it was more about seeing the people again and doing your part to make it success, even if it's only a small part, like, like with the department that I do. And, and you come to enjoy that uh, traditional nature of it. Now, as you get older, of course, it becomes more difficult to invest the time. You know, lives change, people move, you know, to get married, start families, and it becomes, you know, very, very difficult, you know, at times to invest the kind of time that you want to in such things. You have to learn to, to walk that fine line every day you know, between the other responsibilities in your life. You know, we all have careers, we all have families, we all have other pressures to deal with. But, you know, regardless of anything that's happened throughout my life, no matter, you know, who I may have been with or, or you know, what kind of job I've had, you know, the convention has always been there mm. for me. And it, you know, it takes me back to uh, a time when, of course, things were a lot simpler and, you know, you could feel comfortable in a setting like that. You know, someone who may have been sort of socially shut in and everything, um, you know, only had a limited, you know, number of friends, and this is true with many people in fandom, could find so many like-minded people at a convention like this, you couldn't help but really feel comfortable in a setting such as that. And even though one, you know, someone's life changes, you still have that, that fond memory you know, all the good things the convention has done for you. Be it sure leave or another, you know, convention that you're familiar with, other parts of the country, wherever you may live. So that's why you, you take the time, you mm -hmm. know, because of, of what it means to you. Right. You can't always spend as much time as you used to because there are other, you know, priorities in one's life. But it does mean that you lose the love of it, though. Right, right, right. Well, I hope that made sense. No, it did. It did. And it, it answers the question pretty thoroughly about how it changes over time, and yet it becomes, I think, something that we've said for years that shortly really is about the people, not just the guests, but the people that you meet. So. Uh, oh, absolutely. That's, so. that's the real joy there. And that's something, again, to, you know, can't take credit for it, of course, but being a smaller, more intimate gathering like we are, 
I mean, yes, there are many conventions that might draw 30, 40, 50,000 people, and we fully understand we're not in that league, not even close. But when you have something that big, you lose something. You really can't interact with people very much, and the place is so jammed you can barely squeeze by a room, let alone really take a breath and talk to somebody. Shore leave is crowded enough where you feel that group vibe and everything, and you feed off their energy. But on the other hand, it's small enough where you can break away, you can sit down, you can have a bite to eat, you can sit in a lounge, you can talk to somebody, you'll see a guest star across the room, their line, their autograph line may not be very long at the time, you shake your hand, talk to them for two, three minutes. You know, that, that's a big difference right oh, there. Yeah, and uh, that's something that we're, very, that we're very proud of, that we've got the, you know, the programming of a big convention, but we've got the setting of a much more intimate gathering, which makes folks a lot more comfortable. And the fact that, uh, to my knowledge, 33 of the 35 shore leaves have taken place in the exact same hotel over the years also adds the comfort level. Mm-hmm. You know, that the Hunt Valley Inn basically becomes a second home to a lot of folks, mm-hmm. you know, because we're just so used to it. Right. You know, so that's part of it, too. Mike, I know for myself, whenever we, we come to shore leave, it, uh, there's a couple things I'm looking forward to. Um, you always get great guests, um, and because it's, because it's shore leave, it's it's where it's at. There are times where, like you, like you said, their autograph line not, might not be so long, but you could get some really one-on-one FaceTime with uh, some of these folks. You could have a you'd have a a quality conversation with them about. Uh, you know some of their work or something like that, and then, um, and then I get to see people. I only get to see maybe if I'm lucky once or twice a year because they live another part of the country. But um, we'll we'll hang out that whole weekend. Um, we'll, we'll 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 hit the bar together. We'll get we'll get a meal together and, and enjoy you know things at the con together. So it's uh, um, just 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 a couple things I'm, I'm looking forward to when I'm coming back this very, year. Very very true. I agree more completely and that's that sometimes is a challenge when you've got a convention that has 8, 10, 12 pre- tracks of programming going on at the same time and you are literally as soon as you hit the door circling all the things you want to do and there's two three four things going at the same time making your you wish you could replicate yourself and <laughs> have two three versions of yourself because you can't be in all those places at the same time and yet part of yourself says wait a minute i don't want to push myself that hard i want to see these people i haven't seen them in six months i want to sit down with them i got to find the time somewhere so on the one hand you've got all these different things Things you can do, and then there are other times where you just want to say, "Huh, I think I'm just going to chill out. I'm going to sit by the pool, or I'm going to visit with a friend for an hour. I want to go outside. It's a nice day. It's not too hot. We can all hope." And you go outside and you you chill out for a while that way. So that's a part of shore leave too. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no doubt about it that one of the things that does draw people to cons like shore leave are the are the types of guests and the whether it be the authors, science, are obviously the celebrity guests that you bring in each year. And uh, we had chatted about this a little bit prior to the interview, but um, what are some of the ways that Shirley goes about um, acquiring its guests? I mean, how hard is that? And uh, you know, can you tell us a little bit about the process? I realize for those of you tuning in who are listening, uh, Mike won't be able to give us specifics about a certain guest, but you can at least in general tell us a little bit maybe about what that process is like for Shirley. Well, let's see here. Basically, from what, and again, this is just from my point of view, because I'm not in the guest relations department, okay? But from what I've come to understand, sometimes it takes a matter of months of just finding out who a guest star's representative is and keeping after them and after them to get a yes or no answer, haggling over price, you know, per diem rates, you know, what their demands are and such. And sometimes it literally can fall right into your lap. Now, what happens is uh, the women who've been doing the guest relations uh, part of it for a number of years now, okay, um, over the course of time in their position there, they've gotten to know many, many agents, okay? 
And, of course, an agent hardly ever really has one client, right? They tend to have several in that industry, okay? So you'll say, well, you know, hey, so-and-so, I'd like to have this person for our convention, you know? And some of them will right away say, no, they don't do that. Oh, maybe, you know, send over what kind of figures you want, right? And you'll, you'll haggle over, you know, how much the, the per-day price might be or what their demands are as far as travel, you know, what films they might be shooting, their availability, things like that. And sometimes it'll be a drawn-out process. Other times, you know, someone will literally come to us and make themselves available based on our reputation. Um, or it'll be like a package deal. This one agent will have this, this one particular client that we really want, and they'll say, you know, well, that's nice. You know, I've also got this person for, for this price who's, you know, interested in going. Would you be interested in so-and-so? And we might say, well, maybe not that person, but how about them? Oh, okay, maybe. So it's an ongoing series of negotiation, basically. And every actor charges different. Some, you know, some, you know, are more exorbitant than others. I'm not privy to all the numbers and everything. But, um, you know, you get the general idea. But uh, so sometimes things fall into place fairly rapidly, and other times it, it takes a while. Mm-hmm. A lot of times uh, the, the process is hampered by an actor literally not knowing what they're doing that time of the year. You see, we try to get our guest list together right after the holidays, you see. January, February, we want to get the word out then so people can start making their plans then and not the last minute. But sometimes uh, actors are reluctant to sign that early because they literally don't know what they might be working on. They don't know when their break from shooting is. If they're shooting a television series out in California or in many cases these days up in Vancouver, as it so often happens, or even overseas, the travel will be extremely difficult you know, for them to arrange. And so sometimes it is difficult to arrange this. In fact, many times down through the years, we've had very large names who have literally dropped out at the last possible moment, much to our chagrin, because they they got a film where their shooting schedule changed. And as much as we can offer them, and as good as the experience is, it's not as much money as accepting a paying acting gig, you know? So if they get an acting job in a film or a series, hey, that's going to take precedent. Oh, yeah. and And we lose them. So a lot of them don't really want to commit to the last minute. So sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard. But, again, I have to give all the credit in the world to our guest relations department to um, to know so many agents, to always get great ideas together for guests, and for being, um, you know, so intense in their pursuit of top names. And one thing I should add about the Shore Leave guests, uh, our reputation as Shore Leave is, uh, down through the years, is we may not have always have had the biggest name, until this year, that is. <laughs> we may not have always have had the biggest name, but we try to bring in guests who have a very good reputation in fandom. And by that I mean someone who doesn't have a large group of people around them and all that to separate them from the fans. We want guests who are very well known to be fan-friendly, someone who doesn't mind signing autographs, someone who doesn't mind shaking hands, someone who might do a little bit extra, like walk around the place, you know, without a whole bunch of security agents, someone who might help us to, to judge a costume contest, for example. This is very, very important you know, to the Shore League reputation, to, to have guests that aren't, you know, just well-known, but guests that are considered very friendly and, and very, very open to mixing with the fans. Because in many, many cases, this is really an extremely rare opportunity for our attendees to actually mix and mingle with, you know, people that they've seen on TV or up on the big screen over the years. And they want it to be a memorable experience you know, and not something that they're going to regret. So they'll want to keep coming back and tell the people that they know, hey, this shore leave is great. I had a great time. Everybody was so friendly. You really should go. And not to change the track too much, but people oftentimes say, hey, in publicity, how do you tell people about it? And that's kind of interesting because my opinion has changed over time. When I first got into publicity, I wanted to take every dollar in my budget and invest it in newspaper, magazine, radio, you know, get a friend of mine in the club to design an ad, put it in the paper. But to be honest, that never really got us that many names, not for the amount of money it was costing. What really draws people in this modern era of ours, as silly as it may sound, uh, two main things bring people to shore leave. One doing an online search for conventions, and our name comes up, and two, word of mouth. 
Sometimes the oldest things work the best. Sure. A fan telling somebody they know at work, at school, uh, out, you know, sometime, you know, seeing somebody who might have a Captain Kirk action figure or a little Starship Enterprise. Hey, I hear you like Star Trek, you know. Hey, you ever heard about this convention? You know, I go. You know, you want to go or something like that? You spread the word that way. That's how so many of our, you know, fairly new convention people have joined us, mm-hmm. by simple word of mouth. And that's where reputation comes in. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I know that for myself, um, I'll, I'll hit the comic bookstore once a month, and if I you know, occasionally get in a conversation with people, I try to, you know, spread the love about Shore Leave because um, of my positive experiences Well, thank there. you. Believe me. Believe me, it does help because I'm good, but I'm just one guy. And right. I always tell folks, you know, the best thing you can possibly do to help is just tell people about the convention. If you enjoy it, tell people you know. You know someone else who may not have gone before but likes their science fiction. Even it's not a Star Trek thing. Surely many years ago was really just a Star Trek convention. Not that there's anything wrong with that through the 70s and into the 80s. In fact, we were one of the last local conventions to diversify into different shows because we've seen a lot of other conventions doing that. We were initially a little reluctant, but we knew the times were changing. People expected more. So uh, we started getting guests from other shows. You know, you know, back in the 90s, you know, people talking about Babylon 5, which, by the way, is 20 years old already, hard to believe. Hmm. Oh, that makes me feel old thinking <laughs> about that. And, you know, and back in the 90s, X-Files was really popular. Or, man, during the days when, I know it's a different genre, but Buffy the Vampire Slayer, man, when that was hot, that really took over the convention for three, four years, you know. And that was big. And, of course, the tremendous popularity of the, the Battlestar Galactica reboot and all the Stargate series. It isn't always just about the, the classic old series that people talk about. It's also all the... Uh, the newer shows that are popular at the time through channels, you know, bless them, like, you know, Sci-Fi does, or as I still call it, the Sci-Fi channel. All these newer shows, you know, your Warehouse 13 or Defiance or these ones that are coming out now, Falling Skies. There'll be discussions about them, too. Each one has its own specific fandom. And by having, you know, guests that have appeared on one or more of these different series, it increases the interest for people. You might say, well, it's just Star Trek. Not necessarily. I mean, yeah, Star Trek is what it was built around. That's what planted the seeds. That's what laid down the track, so to speak. But it's a lot more than that. There's guests from different shows. So basically, you're going to probably find at least some of our guests have been in something you've seen. Even my wife, you know, some years ago, when she would go to conventions with me, she would uh, recognize one or two of the actors, not from Star Trek, but from different shows. One year, uh, I took her, and uh, Denise Crosby was there. And you know what she recognized her from? Pet Cemetery. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. You know? There was another young actor. I think it was uh, Corin Nemec recognized him from when he was uh, a young, popular, you know, attractive fella and all, and all the teen magazines recognized him. One year, we had Alan Ruck, of course, Captain Harriman from Generations, you know, perhaps not the strongest character in the world, but... You know, knew him, of course, from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm. You see? So you've seen these actors in lots of other things. Oh, well, we, when you had Catherine Hicks there, uh, my wife recognized her past work and was, you know, really into that. So, yeah, that's um, that may be one way you maybe very, get your significant very other. very sweet. The audience just loved her. Oh, yeah. yeah anyone and everything. She, she, she was fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. but, it was a real uh, pleasure to meet her. I think I have a photo op with her mm-hmm. somewhere. You know, she was she was very nice. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great segue. So, let's talk about your, the guests you have uh, coming this year. Okay. Wow. All right. Luckily, I've got one of my editions of the flyers. <laughs> Pardon me, right in front of me here. All right. Number one guest. Okay. And this is a name. When I heard this name. I thought I would jump six, seven feet in the air. I didn't think it would ever happen on our budget. But William Shatner is coming. Cool. On Saturday, August 3rd only, just that one day. It's probably all it took every dollar we had. But he's just coming that one day, Saturday, August 3rd. Now, um, for those of you out there who haven't been on the Shore Leave website, okay, I strongly urge you to do so. Shore-Leave.com, S-H-O-R-E-L-E-A-V-E.com, all right? He's just there on Saturday the 3rd. Now, as of right now, he's doing one 
Q&A talk on Saturday. The time has yet to be determined. We've yet to nail down a time with his agent yet, okay? But that talk is only going to folks who have prepaid for a ticket for that room. There are only 750 tickets, and as of the time I'm speaking to you guys today, it's already sold out. I don't know if any more are going to be made available or will have any cancellations or not. But as of right now, it's sold out. However, he is there still doing photo ops where you can, you know, pay to have your picture taken with him and the photos available the same day to have it signed. So that has not shut down. That's still a go. Okay. And he is supposedly at a table with, you know, his security around him. In his case, he has his own security. So his, his situation's naturally a little different than our other guests. And he'll be, um, you know, charging for his autograph. But he's just there that one day. And it's, it's, it's going to require, shall we say, very special challenges to handle his security and the kind of crowds we're expecting for him. This is by far the biggest name we've ever had, and we are doing everything we can to handle everything as professionally as possible. But to a classic Star Trek guy like myself, this is like a dream come true. I remember seeing him once more than 20 years ago at a creation show down in D.C. when he was working on Star Trek V. That's how long ago it's been since I've seen him. Mm-hmm. All right, on to the other guests. Now, as if William Shatner isn't big enough, here's another big name that hasn't been seen in Baltimore in many years. In fact, since Next Generation was on the air, Brent Spiner, Data himself, he'll be there the entire weekend. Now, his Q&A session is only on Sunday, your, your listeners should know. I mean, he's there throughout the weekend signing his autograph, but his talk is on Sunday. So if you're just going to get a Saturday-only ticket, you're going to miss his, his talk on Sunday. So please be aware of that. But he is supposed to be there for autographs and such throughout the weekend. From Stargate SG-1, returning guest star Amanda Tapping, who, you know, is extremely popular, very strong character, very popular in fandom, an amazing woman, um, Let's see. Yeah, Samantha Carter. That's her character, Samantha Carter. Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis. She's also been in Supernatural and Sanctuary as well. Also from the um, Stargate television series, this is a recent addition to our guest list, Terrell Rothery. Uh, T-E-R-Y-L-R-O-T-H-E-R-Y, Terrell Rothery. She's been to Shore Leave in the past, too. Okay, so we've got two major names from all those Stargate series. Um Am I coming through okay? Sounds good. Yep, absolutely. Oh, okay. Just wanted to, to make sure. I heard a little static there. Let's see. Who else do we have? Well, character actor Saul Rubinek. Saul Rubinek is one of those character actors who has been in just about everything. Name a TV series. You've probably seen him in it. Uh, currently, he can be seen in Warehouse 13, oftentimes with Brent Spiner, by the way. Uh, he was in one Next Gen episode, by the way. Kivas Fasho, that was that character in Next Gen who literally collected data as one of his toys, you may recall. I do, And yeah. he, you know, had to break away. The episode was called The Most Toys. He was underneath all that makeup. That was him. We also have another uh, returning shore leave guest who came many years ago and was extremely popular. His name's Greg Evigan. Now, he was Jake Cardigan in one of those Tech War movies that William Shatner started up many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. And he's also been in TV series like BJ and the Bear, My Two Dads, and things like that. He was in the movie Deep Star Six. Very, very popular. Maybe not, you know, directly known as a science fiction guest, but a very popular man in fandom. Very nice guy, and we're so happy to have him back. Now, to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Babylon 5 that I was talking about before, we have Julie Caitlin Brown, who, of course, is one of the two actresses to play Natoth, you know, uh, Jakar's assistant, uh, or as you say, attache, you know, to the Narn regime in Babylon 5. So I'm sure there's going to be at least one good discussion about Babylon 5 during the course of the weekend. And, of course, her, her name is going to come up. And early on in the planning stage, I said, we've got to have somebody from Babylon 5. We've got to have somebody from Babylon 5. So we're very, very happy to have Babylon 5 well represented in that sense. Very good. Another special guest that we have, actually he's more of a writer guest, but he's, he's featured along the, the main you know, uh, listing of our guest stars, is an author by the name of David Weber. Okay, and he is best known for the Honor Harrington series of books. Okay, and uh, it's a very, very popular series of books. In fact, we've had people literally say they're coming from different parts of the country and even overseas to see this guy. Hmm. 
because those books are so popular. His name is David Weber, okay, and his appearance is being sponsored by a group called the Royal Manticoran Navy, okay, which, of course, is based on characters from that series of books, okay? And so that's our, our main line of guests right there. Then, of course, like you said before, lots and lots of authors who come every year. There's like three, four dozen of them. I can't go into them all now. You've met many of them over the course of time. Um, lots of scientists, you know, from local, you know, scientific uh, installations, you know, like your your Goddard and your Hubble and the Johnson Space Flight Center, that they send these scientists to have, you know, talks about the latest actual science fact. Another thing that I'm very proud of in the Shore Leave universe and other conventions in the area where most of our attendees aren't just interested in the world of science fiction, but they also like to find out about science fact about what actually is out there, what we're doing about it, what the latest projects are, what the political hurdles are, what's being developed. Although, you know, back when Hubble was brand new and everything, and he was shooting these unbelievably beautiful photos back and everything, people would just, you know, couldn't wait to see these latest photos and ooh and ah over them. And that's something I'm also very proud of, that our group tends to like science fact as much as science fiction. Then you have other what we call specialty guests. Um, a very special uh, noted science fiction fantasy cartoonist named Ty Bordoni, uh, who's been all around the country. He's going to be doing our, um, our cover art, by the way, and he no doubt is going to be there. And I'm sure he'll be showing many of his pieces of art there as well. Um, maybe not necessarily an art show, but I'm sure he'll have his own table. So we're very honored to have him helping us out uh, with the um, program book cover this year. Um, let's see. And then you have, you know, different, like I say, specialty guests who provide entertainment at different points during the course of the convention, like during the break before we determine who wins the masquerade. You've got groups like the Boogie Nights, the Chromatics, Lunacy, groups like that who do comedic skits and everything. These are just, most of them are big-time shortly veterans who've been going to these things for many, many years, who provide a laugh, a song, a comedic skit and everything to help, you know, pass the time you know, while we wait, you know, between bits of programming and everything. So they're coming as well. Um, so uh, that is what we are looking at at this point. Sound like a busy enough weekend for you guys? Oh, my word. We're going to be hopping. <laughs> well, see, you, won't, you definitely won't see everyone. So. <laughs> but, well, awesome. It sounds like it's going to be an absolutely fabulous weekend. Uh, Mike, what, what are the dates for Shirley this year? Because I'm not sure that we mentioned them yet. All right, Shirley 35 at the Hunt Valley Inn, just north of Baltimore, Maryland, okay? The weekend of August 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, 2013. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, three full days. Um, Registration is probably going to begin Friday, mm, probably late in the morning, no later than noon at the outside. Registration will probably begin on Saturday, probably around 9. Program begins around 10 or so. And registration will probably run on Sunday, starting at around somewhere between 9 and 10, okay? But like I say, if you're just going to buy a single-day ticket and not do a pre-registration for the weekend, you've got to get there early because mm -hmm. I think those lines are really going to build up. Right, right. So I would recommend that very strongly to, to everyone. Um, let's see, other sources of contact. I mentioned the website, which is so critical. I recommend very strongly to keep on top of things because uh, you never know what, you know, any last-minute changes or in the last week or two before the convention takes place, you know, the schedule starts to, to come out, and you definitely want to take a look at that before you actually leave for the convention, S-H-O-R-E-L-E-A-V-E. -E. If anybody wants to write, uh, we do have a, um, a P.O. box, Shirley 35, P.O. box 6809, Towson, Maryland, 21285-6809. We have a 24-hour telephone info line, not as efficient as using the website, but it is there for anybody who wants to do it that way. That's 410-701-0669. Awesome. And you, like, you've joined other social media. I mean, you have a Facebook page, Twitter account? Yes, yes, we do. Um, we are definitely on uh, Facebook, and although I do not personally have a Twitter account, a good friend of mine in the organization does maintain right. our Twitter account. Uh, tries to find out, you know, who may be, you know, following and everything. I know a couple of the guests have put word out there on Twitter, and so folks, of course, will follow from that standpoint. 
But yes, we are definitely on on Facebook and Twitter. Keep keep an eye out. Yeah. But like I say, the best way to keep up with it is just check the website every right. you know every you know two three days to look for any changes and keep an eye out for any you know additions or subtractions or you know be ready for when the schedule comes out because what has helped me is i'll literally uh, print that out the first minute becomes available and just start circling everything i want to do and you literally have got that weekend planned out you know before you ever even leave the house um but it can be overdone like i said before because if you just want to you know talk to people and get caught up to them sometimes it's really hard to you know, to find out and everything, right. you know, so that's, that's all part and parcel of it though. You yeah. know, there's, there's only just so many hours in the day and you make it work for you. But like I tell a lot of folks that aren't used to shore leave or just conventions in general, you know, you think there's really nothing for you to do. And that's just not true because right. there, there are a lot of choices and, right. you know, if you enjoy this kind of genre at all, you're going to find something that you're interested in. You know, it's almost impossible not to. Um, and, and so, you know, you find yourself, you know, getting caught up in it. And before you know it, uh, it's time for the convention to be over for another year. And you get all sad. You get the post-convention blues. I was just thinking right. that. First things yeah. first, you know. <laughs> yeah. First things first. The convention's yeah. got to come first. And, right. you know, there's, you know, it's getting there. It'll be right. here before you even know it. Right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming into the diner, sitting down, and chatting with us a, a little bit about uh, a little bit you know, about Star Trek. You know what goes into maybe getting some of the guests that we've just got done talking about into the convention. What we have to look forward to this year, surely. We really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to chat with us. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to talk to you guys, and I'm looking forward to seeing you come shortly in just a few short months. Yeah, awesome. Likewise. Yep, thanks a lot. The crew has been fatigued now from so many months in space And they need to take a break The landing party has been down to check out the terrain Jim 
Someone steals the bodies and then Finnegan appears. They get into a brawl. Kirk orders a team to concentrate on standing still and don't think of anything at all. Some dude walks out, proceeds to explain what it's all about. I show. It's okay.